0: Welcome to the Sunday Soother Advice Cast, a podcast that takes your dilemmas and gives you insightful advice about how to get to know yourself better and live life in a more meaningful way. I'm your host, Katherine Andrews, a writer and holistic personal development coach and author of the Sunday Soother Newsletter. Here, I'll take your questions, reframe your narratives, and give you actionable advice that I promise you will actually have you thinking about how to do things in a different way. Hello, hello, everybody. This is Catherine, your host of the Sunday Soother, a podcast where we discuss intuition, intention, and practical ways to live a meaningful life. And I am coming at you from the floor of my office for some reason. I'm also still in my pajamas. I'm burning incense, drinking some mushroom coffee of some sort. And this is what my life is looking like today. It's not all glamour over here. So... We're going to be talking about an important topic today because we've just passed Valentine's Day, and if you've been following me in my Facebook group, The Sunday Soother, there is a Facebook group for this podcast and newsletter in the community, and on my Instagram, you know that I dedicated the past week to five days of self-compassion. You know, looking at Valentine's Day through the lens of self love and what it means to be kind and compassionate and care for ourselves. I think self compassion is a largely misunderstood term in our society today. And for me, it is uh, pretty much one of the biggest tools that I use on my healing journey and personal development to sort of you know, be good to myself and create space for myself to do the things that I want to do and to stop beating myself up so much. So we will dive into that a little bit more later in this podcast. But first, if you read the newsletter this morning, you know that I am like how many days in... I'm like probably like 23 weeks into a dry February. I started a week before February started and I will, God willing please, Jesus, from my lips to the universe's ears, make it till February 29th. Um, And it hasn't, it's been hard and not hard. Like, it's actually been a little bit less hard than I expected. Because this time around, I've tried this before, I did it once successfully a few years ago. But before I would always just I would like say I was gonna do it and then just frankly not do it. There are always excuses, there are always parties, there are always you know, occasions and places to be in happy hours. And this time I understood the context behind keeping a promise to yourself and why that's important for personal growth and healing. And I've talked about on this podcast and in the newsletter, what self abandonment means and how crossing your own boundaries and not keeping promises to yourself leads to what's called self-abandonment which is just basically not the ability to not trust in yourself because you're prioritizing external factors and other people outside of your own needs and desires and promises to yourself. And I think I've really for most of my life um maybe like not my whole life but maybe like the past 15 friggin' years had pretty low self-trust, and I was abandoning myself in a lot of ways. So I knew that when I threw down the gauntlet of dry February for myself, it was like, okay, this is like a bigger promise to yourself. This isn't just like meditating every day or, um, you know, making these other promises to yourself about your boundaries. Drinking, you know, is a big part of my life. I'm a social person. Um, I live in Washington D.C., where it's a pretty big drinking culture. And the biggest thing I've noticed through this is that I do use drinking to numb emotions that arise. So when I threw down this gauntlet, I was like, "You're you're doing it this time, Catherine." Like there's, and also it really helped that I talked about it in the newsletter and podcast <laughs> because that indeed helped me stay very accountable. Um, but read the newsletter today because I talk about cutting out caffeine and alcohol for this month and what it has meant for me in terms of having to process and actually feel my feelings as they arise. Because the biggest thing I've noticed outside of or through this process of not having alcohol this month is that I have a lot of feelings and I'm horrible at regulating and processing and feeling them. Um, I actually knew this to some extent. I, for most of my life, and I still am to some extent when I don't have like a manicure or these fancy impress, press on nails that I'm wearing right now that I like so much. I've been a horrible nail biter. So probably starting around age seven or eight. I was just, it was like on, like my nails were gone. My fingers were in my mouth constantly. And, you know, I'd always read and been told that nail biting was related to anxiety. And I was like, well, that makes sense. I am an anxious person. But then I read a study later on, like a few years ago that really made a lot of sense to me. It said nail biting is not actually related to anxiety. People who bite their nails a lot struggle with emotional regulation. And emotional regulation to me really just means as emotions arise, being with them in your body and in your mind and in your spirit. And um, I think probably something that I deal with is that I can get very easily overwhelmed by emotions. And so the urge is to bite my nails, drink a cup of coffee, drink a glass of wine, and just hope that they go away or kind of get shoved back down into my body by the numbing out of those tactics. So Here I am at 40, you know, learning a skill. I hope they teach us in school nowadays because I'm pretty sure they didn't when I was in school. But learning the skill of emotional regulation and being with my emotions. So read the newsletter and let me know what you think. If you're a nail biter or you drink more often than you would like because something about your emotions makes you feel uncomfortable, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, And if that's an experience for you, too, and and how you learn to regulate your emotions and deal with them. Um, A few other things, Um, not too much else is going on in Washington, D.C. It's been raining for about like three months straight, which has taken a serious toll on my mood, even with my two week break in Miami. So I do get seasonal effectiveness disorder pretty Pretty bad, And I'm in the throes of it right now. You know, I do the things I sunlamp, I meditate, I sleep, I take vitamin D. I take a lot of vitamin D. Like I'm pretty sure the FDA, if they tested my blood levels, would be concerned about the amount of vitamin D in my system. And those things do help. So just shouting out to anybody out there who's also suffering from SAD this season. I know by now it's like clockwork by the end of February. I get pretty, pretty crazy with it. So I am looking for the corner around to March and into April and hoping all of you out there are feeling the same way and just kind of holding on. Okay, so we've just gotten through Valentine's Day. You know, Valentine's Day is never really, I've never, I've i have had boyfriends on Valentine's Day, I've been in relationships, it's been a while, um, but it never really bothered me too much. I never felt really left out on the times I was single. I didn't really have many thoughts about Valentine's Day one way or another, so... It wasn't like I felt bad about myself or I felt angry about Valentine's Day and the consumerization of love and all of those things. Um, It kind of just wasn't on my radar. It didn't bother me, didn't think too much about it. But when I was thinking about it coming up this year, I was like, okay, well, I am coaching now and what I really see people struggle with the most, the people who come to me and something that I've worked through and I'm still working through and probably will always work through is being kind to myself. And being compassionate with myself, you know, not letting that inner critic and negative voice take over the uh, take over your inner world and be constantly flagellating you and beating you up. And so I thought it could be great to start a conversation about self-compassion. And because I think, like I said, at the top of the podcast, it's a really misunderstood concept in our society. So what I want to do in this episode of the Sunday See There podcast is Define self-compassion, look at the three critical elements of it, talk about some myths of self-compassion, and I really want to also understand why self-compassion actually makes you more motivated and makes you more able to achieve your goals and stick to your routines and promises, and it actually gives you better personal responsibility. So... So we're going to talk about today. So we're also going to talk about creating a self-compassion mantra at the end of the podcast, which is a practice that I learned about recently that I really like because it can be super helpful. So here we go. As always, I love to start out a conversation about an abstract concept with a clear definition. And so we're going to start with Dr. Krista Neff, who is basically like literally the queen of self-compassion work. She's the one who defined it. She studies it academically and she defines self-compassion as this. Self-compassion is acting the same way towards yourself as you would to a loved one or child when you're having a difficult time, fail, or notice something you don't like about yourself. Instead of just ignoring your pain with a stiff upper lip mentality, you stop to tell yourself, this is really difficult right now. How can I comfort and care for myself in this moment? So instead of mercilessly judging and criticizing yourself for various inadequacies or shortcomings, What self-compassion means is that you're kind and understanding when confronted with personal inadequacies, okay? Because nobody ever said you're supposed to be perfect, right? Nobody ever said, well, actually society kind of says you're supposed to be perfect, right? But like we kind of logically know we're not supposed to be perfect. We're human beings and imperfection is baked into who we are. But this is the definition that I work with and I think it is wonderful. It's just being kind to yourself when you're struggling, right? So... Now that you have a baseline understanding of self-compassion, we need to look at the three critical elements of self-compassion and what they look like. Okay, so we've talked about the definition of self-compassion, which is being kind, caring, and understanding to yourself, particularly in moments of stress or personal feelings. So what does that look like, though, when you're breaking it down? Again, Dr. Neff comes to the rescue. So she talks about that there are three critical elements of self-compassion. The first one is self-kindness versus self-judgment. So self-compassion means being warm and understanding towards ourselves when we're failing, feeling inadequate, kind of feeling crappy, suffering, rather than judging ourselves, ignoring our pain, flagellating ourselves with self-criticism. So the first element of self-compassion is self-kindness, moving away from that self-judgment, which if you're anything like me, the self-judgment voice is pretty loud, but trying to make the the dial on the self-kindness volume a little bit louder. The second element, I love this one, common humanity versus isolation. So Dr. Neff says, frustration of not having things exactly as we want is often accompanied by an irrational but pervasive sense of isolation, as if, quote unquote, I were the only person suffering or making mistakes. All humans suffer, however. The very definition of being human means that one is mortal, vulnerable, and imperfect. I always love this one because there's something I'm going to get this totally wrong and I need to have my notebook in front of me, but sometimes I say this to clients and think this about myself, thinking you're the worst is as egocentric as thinking you're the best, right? Because you're not alone, right? You're giving yourself a lot of power if you think you're the worst, you suck, like you're the only one who fails at stuff. And this element of self-compassion shows us it's not, like, this is a this is a common human feeling, right? That sometimes it's hard to be who we are, sometimes we fail, sometimes we feel sad. So it's, we're not isolated in these feelings. We are not alone. We are part of a common humanity. So that's element two. And element three is mindfulness versus over-identification. So mindfulness is a non-judgmental, receptive mind state in which one observes thoughts and feelings as they are without trying to suppress or deny them. I could use more of this given what I talked about at the top of the podcast with (laughs) struggling with suppressing my my emotions as they come up. Um, Dr. Neff says we can't ignore our pain and feel compassion for it at the same time. Right. So chew on that. Like we can't pretend it's not there and be compassionate to it. We have to acknowledge that it's there and it feels painful in order to be compassionate to it. So she also says at the same time, mindfulness requires that we not be over-identified with thoughts and feelings so that we're caught up and swept away by them. So this is some, looks like something like saying like, I suck, I'm a failure, I'm anxious, I'm sad, and moving into something inside of me is hurting right now, right? Or something inside of me is feeling anxious. Something inside of me is stressed and kind of thinking for whatever reason that I'm a failure. So then you're not saying like, I am those things. You are just acknowledging an internal part of you is feeling those things in that moment. So that's the over-identification part. Okay, so now that we know the definition and elements of self-compassion, I think it's good to explore what self-compassion is not. Um, Because I think a lot of people think showing compassion to ourselves is weakness, pity, or the easy way out. And it's not, right? And so it's also um, not indulgent. It's not about our self-esteem either. And Dr. Neff lays this out pretty clearly. She says self-compassion is not self-pity. Because self-pity tends to emphasize egocentric feelings of separation from others, and it exaggerates the extent of personal suffering. Right? Again, this is going back into the isolation a little bit, these egocentric feelings, like I'm the only one who feels this bad all the time. Self-compassion, on the other hand, allows ones to see the related experience of self and other without those feelings of isolation and disconnection. She also notes self-compassion is not self-indulgent and she, uh, sorry, it's not self-indulgence. Because a lot of people are reluctant to be self-compassionate. And I saw this in my Instagram DMs when I was talking about that. this. Um, people are scared to be self-compassionate because they think it means that they let themselves off the hook and get away with anything. Like, well, I want to be nice to myself, so I'm going to eat an entire pint of ice cream. Well, I don't want to work, do this work project, so I'm just going to binge Netflix for three hours, right? That's not self-compassion. That's self-indulgence when you are, you know, kind of numbing out with food or stimulation or TV and not taking responsibility for the things you need to get done. Being compassionate to yourself means you want to be happy and healthy in the long term and you do things according to that, right? And lastly, self-compassion is not self-esteem. And she notes that self-esteem is often contingent on our latest success or failure, meaning that our self-esteem fluctuates depending on ever-changing circumstances. And in of self-esteem, self-compassion isn't based on self-evaluations. When you feel self-compassion, you feel self-compassion and compassion for yourself and for others because all human beings deserve compassion, not because they're pretty or smart or talented or like the tallest person in the room or the best at applying makeup, right? Because we're humans and we all deserve compassion for ourselves and for others. So this means that with self-compassion, you don't have to feel better than others to feel good about yourself. So where, hopefully that helps a little bit, but I still really do see people getting stuck that they think being compassionate with themselves won't keep them driven, it won't keep them accountable, it won't keep them motivated, it won't keep them able to do the things they want to do and grow and change because they're still conflating self-compassion with self-indulgence, right? Right. So, but uh, Krista Neff, again, did some really excellent research and talked about this in an interview with The Atlantic that self-compassion actually enhances motivation. And she noted that people who are more self-compassionate are less afraid of failure, right? Because they're like, well, I failed, but I'm a human, I'm going to fail. And so then they're not afraid to try again. So that's one element. If you're more self-compassionate, you're less afraid of failing, which means you can try more things. And in fact, she noted that there was a study where helping people be more self-compassionate about failure on a test, later on when they had a chance to study for a second test, they actually studied longer than people who were told not to be self-compassionate because being self-compassionate to yourself creates an environment where it's safe to fail. So then you're gonna be more likely to try again, okay? So chew on that. If you're more self-compassionate, you're less likely to be afraid of failing, which means you're going to try more new new things. And when you try more new things, you're going to succeed at more new things. That's just science, right? (laughs) So get the self-compassionate people also have more self-confidence because they're not beating themselves the hell up all the time. (laughs) Think about this. You know, if you have that inner critic, um, You're beating yourself up all the time and you feel bad about yourself. I know many of you out there feel like that, and I struggle with this too. But if you're self-compassionate and you're like, it's okay, Catherine, like, you know, you didn't run as far as you wanted to today or as fast as you wanted to today, but that's okay. Like you're gonna get it tomorrow. Then you're gonna be like, Yeah, I am gonna get it tomorrow. That's right. Like, and so you're gonna be more self-confident about going out there again and not worried about beating yourself up. Okay. So finally Dr. Neff points out that people who are more self-compassionate are actually more likely to take personal responsibility when they do harm others, and they're more likely to apologize. Because, again, when it's safe to make a mistake and you have the resources to say, like, wow, I did that thing, and I that was awful of me, but you can acknowledge that you did it and then see yourself clearly, because you're not saying you're a horrible person at your core – you're just saying like, wow, I kind of went there that one time, and that was really rude of me, and and I'm so sorry. And you're not over-identifying again with the mistake you made, which actually increases your ability to take responsibility and apologize, Okay. So I think about this all the time in terms of like how self-compassion can actually basically make you a better person who does more things, tries more things, succeeds at more things, is more self-confident, takes more personal responsibility. But I still think this is a hard concept for us. And I think because it's still that the voice of the inner critic is so loud in our heads, we can't actually separate from it. And we can't actually understand that that, that voice is what's preventing us from being more compassionate to ourselves. And that voice um, is, we think that voice is motivating us, not beating us up and kind of making us feel like crap. And so the metaphor that I use for my clients is I talk about, you know, most of us have an inner critic, right? Some of us are lucky enough to have identified it. Some of us are even luckier to have identified it and stopped listening to it. Um, some of us don't know we have it. We're so closely identified with it we don't understand that it can possibly be separate from us. I would gather that most of us have identified it and still listen to it sometimes and sometimes try to not listen to it. Right. So you're kind of stuck in that middle place, but this is where I like trying the move of going from inner critic to inner coach. Right. So the inner critic says something like, you're so stupid. I can't believe you thought you could pull that off. Of course you failed. Right. Whereas the inner coach, so the inner critic is mean, right? And of course it comes from a good place, believe it or not, because it's trying to protect you because it's terrified, right? The inner critic is like your reptile brain or whatever that's like change bad, do nothing, try nothing, stay in a blanket, never go anywhere, (laughs) (laughs) But it's not really a way to live, right? So the inner critic is coming from a good place of self-protection, but it's not useful anymore, right? So that's where you can try to transform your inner critic into an inner coach. And the inner coach, I mean, think about, you know, not maybe an abusive coach that you had in high school if you were on sports um, or like in an extracurricular, but like one of those coaches who was actually like encouraging and supportive and was like, hey, you know, no, you didn't win that race, but I am not going to let you not try again because this is, it, this is within your capability. You can absolutely do this. We're going to need to practice some more. And I have some ideas for extra sprints. And let's take a little time off because I know that was really hard for you. But like on Monday, let's get back to this because you are capable of this. So hopefully you can hear the difference between the inner critic and the inner coach. So when you hear the inner critic, You know, and really like sometimes it's really useful to write down what it literally said because you would be shocked and try to take that sentence and turn it into an inner coach, right? Because this will help those of you who are scared of of being self-compassionate and thinking that that's going to make you self-indulgent. But if you can transform the inner critic to the inner coach, it's going to give you a safe space to try, to fail, to own up to stuff, to try again, and to be encouraged and understand, you know, that you have the capabilities to do the things you want to do, right? And you're not going to be beating yourself up about it. Okay. So lastly, we've gone over a lot of stuff about self-compassion, its elements, its definition, like why it actually makes you more motivated, the role that the inner critic has to play in it. I want to turn to an exercise from therapist Lisa Oliviero that I think is just brilliant when you're creating, or when you're dealing with this. And it's, it's creating a self-compassion mantra. And this is a sentence you can build out on your own and you can use regularly. You can start practicing to itself, it's kind of, I guess, almost an affirmation. Um, so when you are facing something hard or you're feeling inadequate or feeling imposter syndrome, you can use this sentence you can try the sentence on, right? And say it to yourself. It'll probably feel like a little weird at first, but it's something you can keep saying to yourself. So in order to create a self-compassion mantra, according to Lisa, you got to go back real quick to the three elements of self-compassion as we previously defined by Dr. Ness, um, mindfulness, common humanity, and self-kindness. So let's go over those again real quick mindfulness becoming aware of the present moment and paying attention to what's arising within you without judgment common humanity recognizing yourself and others and knowing you're not alone in what you are experiencing and re- reminding yourself of the commonality of all of our experiences and acknowledging that others feel similarly at points and lastly self-kindness and this is where we introduce the kindness the compassion the love to ourselves and where we say something nourishing and supporting to ourselves So if you use these three elements, you can break them down and create part of a mantra using each of these three elements. So let's use mindfulness first. So Lisa says, one, mindfulness. Here's a sentence you can try. I'm feeling really anxious right now and my heart is beating quickly. Okay, so you could use this for anything. You could be like, I can't breathe right now. I feel really panicky and I want to go hide. Whatever, it's, it's a noticing, it's an observation of your current um, emotional and physical state. That's the mindfulness part. Common humanity, she suggests saying, a lot of people feel this way and I know I'm not alone. And then the last element of self-kindness, may I offer myself kindness in this moment? So if you put all of those three elements together, you get, I'm feeling really anxious right now and my heart is beating quickly. A lot of people feel this way and I know I'm not alone may I offer myself kindness in this moment? And there you have a self-compassion mantra, right? And you can play around with that on your own. I have a post up on Instagram that kind of helps you figure out how to do this too. It'll just give you a sentence to fall back on, like a little cushion to fall back on in those moments that you can try on to say to yourself to start practicing self-compassion in your life. So you may use it, you know, times when you may use a mantra like this or when you may need self-compassion are the times which you're being hardest on yourself. When you feel physically uncomfortable, when you feel emotionally uncomfortable, right? So you can get quiet and start noticing those times and then try to start incorporating the self-compassion mantra into your brain, right? And if you're alone, you can even say it out loud. You can write it down, right? There's a lot of ways to read this back to yourself and to use it in the moment to to soothe yourself because that's really what we're trying to do. So that's it. That is my spiel on self-compassion. I hope you are self-compassionate to yourself this week. You've been self-compassionate to yourself throughout the week of Valentine's Day and all the associated hubbub. Um, Thank you so much for listening. I hope this has been helpful and I will come back at you next week. Have a good one, everybody.